You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. We have uh, today and then one Sunday left with a, a message uh, in this series, Not a Fan. But I wanted to tell you about the last Sunday of the month because it is actually like part of the Not a Fan series. But we're going to call it kind of Not a Fan celebration. And uh, on that Sunday, we're primarily going to have music and testimonies. I'm, I'm going to say very little uh, on that Sunday. And what I want to encourage you to do, uh, especially those of you that have been involved in a small group, is to be evaluating, you know, like the next week or so and uh, see something that maybe God might have used in your life or spoken to your heart. Because on that Sunday, we'd love for you to share it uh, on it. And we actually want our small group leaders to kind of identify, uh, you know, one person in each small group that we can kind of schedule to do that. But then beyond that, we're going to open it up also to give you a chance to share uh, on that Sunday. So, you know, if you're interested in it as a small group leader, let your small group leader, uh, or in a small group, let your small group leader know that you'd have some interest in doing that, because we'd love to hear from you on that uh, Sunday. And then we'll be uh, kicking off a new series uh, that's going to be called Inside Out, that uh, you might wonder what that's about. It's more or less going to be about us taking what's in here in our faith and getting it out here, you know, to where it's part of uh, our our life and and part of what we do in ministry and uh, and things like that. Uh, Today, though, our topic is this. We're talking about more than rules. And uh, by that uh, topic, more than rules, uh, what I mean by that title is, is simply this. It means that uh, being a Christian is about more than just following a bunch of rules. Uh, some people get the erroneous viewpoint that you become a Christian by following rules or that Christianity is defined by following rules. And that's not the case. And I want us to clearly understand that today and I think you will as we go more through uh, the message. A um, couple of stories kind of to start us off with. There's a, a pastor that, that I know of by the name of James Emery White. He's also an author. Uh, you may have possibly purchased a book by him before but, uh, but James White is the uh, pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church down near Charlotte and uh, he started the church, a church planner several years ago uh, even before there were a lot of new churches being started uh, you know, kind of like day three or whatever. So he started this church. He had a, uh, a lady start attending the church who, as a young lady, experienced kind of some rules at a different church that she used to attend that really turned her off to church and caused her to kind of walk away from church or walk away from pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Uh, what had happened to her when she was younger and going to a different church is that she sinned in her life uh, and had premarital sex and conceived a child. Uh, now, I want to stress where everyone's completely clear on this. The Bible says that's wrong. That is a sin. At the same time, I think what I'm about to tell you the church did is also a sin and how they responded to her. Because in the church that she used to go to, as she started to kindly show, all of a sudden people that used to speak to her would not speak to her anymore. And people were whispering behind her back. And the gossip mill, if you understand what I'm talking about, started running a third shift, you know. 
to where you know they could you know get this story going around about this young girl and talking about this young girl, and uh, eventually the pastor went to her and asked her while she was expecting the baby to quit coming to the church. And then after she had the baby and she started trying to return to the church, the pastor told her that she could come to the church, but she had to sit on the back pew. Like I said, what she did was wrong. What that church did was wrong. That girl knew she had sinned. Just maybe she needed some people not only saying you sinned, but saying you sinned, let us help you. And because of the way she was treated, she walked away from church for years and years. And then a friend took her to Mecklenburg Community Church, where all of a sudden she really started you know, liking the environment and the music and everything like that. But she wanted to talk to James White, the pastor, and find out, you know, just let James know up front, this is where I've been in my life. Because she wanted to know up front, before she engaged in that congregation, what the impact was going to be. And what she found was love and support in a place that she could heal, which is what she should have found to start with. A few weeks back, I referred to uh, Gandhi, an illustration I've heard about Gandhi before. Gandhi, of course, was this uh, big leader in India and had a lot of influence in India. And uh, Gandhi, when he was in England, decided to go to a Christian church because he'd been reading his Bible and thought he would go and just kind of check out the stuff about Jesus that he'd been reading in the Bible. So he goes to this church in England dressed in his full uh, Indian attire, and he is greeted by the greeter, by the usher, with these words, uh, you need to stay with your own kind uh, and just go worship with your own kind instead of coming here. Gandhi later wrote these words, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's a tragic statement. And I'm afraid many times it's a true statement. What had happened if Gandhi had received Christ and been welcomed and took the gospel back to India? Those two stories remind me of a story in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, there's this young woman that was caught in adultery, brought in before Jesus. We'll read the words there, and this will kind of be the undercurrent, the back, you know, drop, sort of less for our message. But look at these words in John chapter 8. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple talking about Jesus. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now you need to understand what's going on in the background here. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus, instead of responding, bends down, and he starts riding in the dirt. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. 
But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I, I hadn't thought a lot about that statement this week. It kind of caught me in the first service, you know, as I read that. And I thought, well, what's up with that? And, you know, maybe us older ones have had more chance to sin than you younger ones or something, you know. Maybe that's why they walk away first. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What we read about is this. What happened? Jesus is there teaching. And the Pharisees come in and interrupt him teaching because they have caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, I'm not sure what Jesus wrote in the sand. I'll deal more with that later. But, uh, you know, I'm wondering where the guy was. Maybe Jesus wrote down the name of the guy. You know, it takes two to tango. You've heard that before. Maybe that's what he wrote down first. But whatever the reason, they, you know, they, they're coming in. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're wanting to catch him to where they can make Jesus look either harsh or liberal, I guess, one of the two. And they come in and they, they've got this woman that they're kind of pushing along probably in front of this angry crowd. And they come in, maybe toss her down in the, the dust or something. And they say, we call her in the act of adultery. Maybe they just grabbed her up from the bed. Maybe she's got a sheet around her or something. And they're telling Jesus, you know, look, the, the law says, the rules say that we ought to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, of course, we read there, offered forgiveness to her. This is kind of a pushy move for these religious leaders. And, and, and the thing I want us to focus on today is, if we're not careful, we will be more like those religious leaders in that day than we are like Jesus. If we're not careful in the church environment, we will practically, no matter what our doctrine statement is, we will practically make it seem like to those who listen and those who attend that it's all about keeping the rules. And if you keep the rules good enough, we'll let you join our club. If you keep the rules well enough, then you can get into heaven one day. But if you don't keep the rules well enough, then you can't be a part of our club and you're not going to make it to heaven one day. No matter what our doctrine might be, if we're not very careful in, in an example type of way, we, we may make it sound like it still has to do with the rules. And the tragedy of that is this. You have people who have been hurt, like the young lady I mentioned that started attending Mecklenburg Community Church. You have people who have been hurt by church who will decide to try and engage again at church and then they will show up and they'll feel like they don't fit in because we're awful good in churches of conveying this attitude like we've got it all together. You know, we're, we're perfect, you know. So, and, and you've got someone who's been hurt in church come and they start getting that vibe that we think we're perfect better than they are. And you know what? They don't hang around because they think I don't fit because I'm not perfect and they seem to be. Although we're not, are we? And they'll get the wrong attitude. Or a, a non-believer, somebody just decides to come to church. And, you know, they, they're coming. They know they're screwed up. They know they've got problems and issues in their life. They understand, you know, that they've committed sin and things like that. And yet they'll come to church and they'll see us act like we're perfect, we're fine, we've got all these rules. And that non-believer will think, man, I can't stack up to those rules. Why even try? So they'll just quit coming. 
and fall by the wayside. That's what we need to card against here in our church. I plan to say this near the end. I'll just go ahead and say it now. I may say it twice. Probably needs to be said more than twice. But pretty often we'll get people that attend day three and I'll get an email after they've been coming a while and I'll find out they've been very hurt in church in their life. And they're not turned off to Jesus, but they are turned off to church, kind of like Gandhi was and other Christians. And yet somehow they come here, and, and, and I'm not trying to brag on us, I'm trying to brag on Jesus in us, but somehow we'll have people come here and I'll get emails to where those people will tell me they feel accepted and loved. And we need to guard that. I had someone a couple of weeks ago that's coming to our small group who kind of been attending our church a little bit and things like that. And this person has been in a leadership capacity at, a, at another church before. And the person's also kind of professional businessman, so they're kind of always evaluating stuff. So he came up afterwards. And, you know, a lot of times when somebody says, I've got something I want to tell you, I'm sorry, I'm gun shy all these years in the ministry. You know, and you start thinking, all right, what's this going to be? You know, and, uh, and you know, because I knew this guy's a businessman, evaluates stuff and things like that. And he said, he said, you need to be sure that you're always willing to be transparent and let people know that you're not perfect because he said that doesn't happen a lot of places. And see, I, I don't think a lot about those things. And what prompted it that night, I had told our small group that I was coming to the council with somebody that week. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pull in here during the week or on Sunday morning or whatever. I had been signaling for a mile and a half that I was going to turn into the driveway and uh, a lady behind me did not think it was in her world okay for me to slow down and turn in uh, to the driveway here into the parking lot so I have to turn in so fast my iPad and you know my Bible and things like that are slung out in the floor and she still blows her horn mad at me and I turn in going that fast and I'm, I'm still human and I wanted to speak to her in sign language Now, I, I didn't, but I really wanted to. You know, so, and I told that story that night. And I, you know, and, and I guess there is a strong lesson learned. And that, that illustration there really applies to what we're talking about this morning. If we're not careful, we'll make people think it's all about rules and people won't come. Or they won't keep coming. And we need to be transparent before people and let people know we understand we don't have it all together. We understand that our only hope is Jesus. And it has nothing to do with you and I pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps saying, I can deal with it. I can take care of my life. We need to guard against that. Now, you know, now that I've said that, you know, we'll, we'll start saying, well, but we have to act a little bit like the Pharisees. We have to have these rules. We have to have these standards. And I understand that there are rules and there are standards. This Bible is full of them. You understand that? But here's the deal with it. We respond to these standards because God loves us, not in order to earn the love of God. You see the difference in that? We respond to the rules. We ought to have the desire to follow Jesus, not because we think He's in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to get us. We ought to respond and have the desire to follow Jesus because He loved us enough to send His Son who died on the cross for us, and by His amazing grace, we're going to heaven. And in a love response to His love, we ought 
to follow his rules. But we don't make ourselves right by following the rules. You understand the difference? I'm afraid the church makes it seem like we make it ourselves right, that Christianity is defined by following, by following the rules. And in the end, we all have to admit we don't stack up and we can't follow all the rules. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about more than rules, how Christianity is more than rules. I want you to look about three main things this morning. And I'm just going to kind of say a lot of stuff underneath three main points uh, that, that you can write down. They'll help us understand, I think, that Christianity is not about rules. It's not about obeying the rules. You don't become a Christian by obeying the rules. Here's our first statement. Rules can be cumbersome or burdensome. When you're just trying to follow rules, rules put a, a heavy burden upon you. Uh, by the way, before we start judging other people with our rules, do you realize that Jesus said that by the standard we judge other people, we'll be judged ourselves? And, and we need to be aware of that. And we need to be careful about just making up a bunch of man-made rules and making people think that you're okay with God based upon the rules. Let, let me illustrate that a little bit. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of wrestled around whether to illustrate it like this because some of you know where I've been and I'm not, really I'm not trying to shoot at you know, some scenario or, or Christian education. I think you know, the Christian education is a good thing. Uh, you know, we have some people in our church that, that homeschool their kids because they're concerned about that. And we have you know, some people that send their kids to a Christian academy and things because they're concerned about, you know, that part of their life. But you've got to understand, just sending them in that environment doesn't make them okay, you know? We, we've, we've, got, we've got a lot of school teachers in this place that are public school teachers that I know are Christian, you know, also. Uh, but, but I'm not trying to shoot at any one group, but I'm just kind of telling you out of my own experience where I've been. And, and I pastored at one time a church that had a Christian school, a Christian academy. I didn't start it. They already had it going. They already had a lot of rules established and that I kind of inherited when I was called to be their pastor. I mean, it was rules like, you know, guys could not have their hair touching the, you know, the, the collar of their shirt or they had to wear a collar shirt and the girls had to wear, you know, skirts or dresses that went four inches below the knees. And I've actually seen teachers pull out a ruler and measure it, you know, trying to be sure if they hit the standard and things like that. And, you know, it was wrong for girls to wear pants, although I did get them to relax that at ball games, not during school hours. Because guess what? When you climb up on bleachers, what's more modest, pants or a dress? I'm just saying. But, but they have a lot of rules like that. And, you know, if, if, if a young lady were to become expecting while she was there out of wedlock, they would they'd kick her out instantly. And I understand sometimes we have to have standards and we have to have rules, but they need to be applied in the right way. And if you've got a non-Christian that you're expecting to hold up to a Christian standard, then you're asking them to do something that we can't even do part of the time as Christians because we fall and we make mistakes in our lives. So I, I, you know, I tried to get them to kind of lower some of the standards and try and you know, change some of the things there because I saw this danger taking place over a period of time. Kids in that environment, especially when they were there all the way through high school, somehow through all the rules seem to start to adopt a methodology or even a theology in their lives that they were right with God 
by keeping the rules. And I could preach in chapel in that academy, and those teenagers that I'd preach to would be afraid to respond to an invitation because if they came up to an invitation, their friends who thought they were trying to keep the rules would realize, hey, you've not kept a rule. Or their teacher would realize, you've not kept a rule. And they felt like they, that they couldn't respond. I, to be honest with you, I could have preached to a bunch of heathen teenagers somewhere and got more response to an invitation because these kids thought they were okay by keeping rules. Somewhere it had been lost in the translation of, yes, it's Jesus and we believe in him and he died on the cross. But then if we're not careful to that, we will be so rule focused that we make people think they're okay based upon keeping the rules. And the reason that bothered me as I watched, I would see some of those same kids, some of those same teenagers, once they graduated and got on their own, Decide, you know what? I'm done with your rules. I'm done with people telling me how I have to live. And in rebellion, they walked away from the church. They walked away from Jesus. They walked away from their Bibles. They walked away from prayer. Because somehow they had just been told it's all about the rules. You see why we need to guard against that? And someone's going to say, well, we've got to have standards. I agree with that. You know, the Bible's full of standards. But we have to have them applied in the right way. And that is that we keep the rules because Jesus died for us on the cross. Because God loves us. Because of the grace of God. We're not keeping the rules in order to make God love us. You see the difference? And see, those kids somehow had bought into we're keeping the rules in order to make God love us. And inside, no matter what they had on the outside... Inside, they knew that they weren't right. They knew that they were imperfect. And they had guilt and frustration in their lives. So they decided, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm just going to walk away from it. When I was pastoring in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, I had a, a, a seminary student who had actually gone to college and been in uh, youth ministry for years. Uh, matter of fact, he was like, you know, like the number two, number three sought after youth pastor probably in South Carolina when we were able to get him bivocationally when I was pastoring in Rocky Mount while he was in seminary. He was already doing successful ministry, but he felt led to go to seminary. So he's at Southeastern Seminary. Our church is about 40 miles away, so we call him to come be our youth pastor. He grew up in the Greenville, Spartanburg area of South Carolina. And as he grew up there and ministered there as a youth pastor, he saw something that would happen in some young people's lives. And I'll not call out the name, but there's a pretty you know, famous Christian college that's located there in Greenville in South Carolina. And what Clay, that was my youth pastor, what Clay would see was this. He would see kids who had been sent to go to college at this Christian campus who had been forced to go to a Christian elementary school, forced to go to Christian high school, forced now to go to a Christian college. And while they are at this Christian college, since they had never been taught how to love God and do what God wants because of love instead of rules, and since now they're out by themselves and they don't have the eyes of their parents looking over them all the time, they got out on their own with a little bit of freedom and they lost it. They went wild, crazy in their lives, rebelling against all the rules. 
And at the same time, I know that Christian college has done a lot of good. I'm not trying to say that that's not a good college or anything like that. I know they've even changed over the years since that's happened. But what I'm telling you is this. If we're not careful, we'll present a scenario to our kids and to our youth growing up where they think it's about the rules. And if it's about the rules, they can't keep the rules. You can't keep up the rules. They'll get frustrated, and they'll say, I'm done with it, and they'll walk away. Rules can be cumbersome or burdensome. See, the main problem was that those young people had not been taught to love Jesus. They had been taught the rules, but they had not been taught to love Jesus. And they had not seen adults being transparent and admitting that they have fault, and admitting that they have failure in their life, and admitting it's only by the grace of God. Instead, they had seen this kind of act like, we're perfect. I go to church. I pray, I read my Bible, I'm okay. You know, everything's fine with me. Instead of hearing people be transparent, instead of being taught to follow Jesus and obey the rules because they love Him, they had been taught to follow the rules in order that they might be accepted by God. And that's a problem. This lady that we read about, in this story, this woman in John chapter 8. She's being looked down on, humiliated, being accused of her sin that she was guilty of. She's caught breaking the rules, and they bring her in that day in, in a way that her breaking the rules that day might actually cost her her life because there's a crowd there waiting to stone her to death, waiting to throw rocks at her. And they're trying to trick Jesus and ask Jesus, well, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. You're going to approve of it? We're going to stone her to death. Instead, Jesus does this. He doesn't answer them. He gets down and he starts writing in the sand. I'd love to know what he wrote, wouldn't you? That's one of the questions I'll have to ask one day. I'm sorry in heaven, you know. Jesus might say, it's none of your business. That was for the end, not for you. But I, I, I think I might have to ask that one. What in the world did you write in the sand? Like I said, maybe it was the dude's name that they did not bring in. Maybe he wrote the words of Scripture. But then he stands up after he writes a little bit and he says, Who among you is without sin? See, that's the issue. A lot of times in church we'll act like we're without sin. That's a lie. And that presents a perverted image to people that show up feeling like they have to stack up to what we want them to follow. So then Jesus kneels back down and he starts writing again. And as he's writing again, the crowd starts to dissipate, kind of one by one. Like I said, I don't know what he wrote. Don't go off and start a denomination on this or anything. But I'm wondering, since they walked away one by one, maybe Jesus is writing down their names. And by the way, here's what you did. Here's the day and the hour that you committed adultery. Here's the day that you were with this particular woman that's been living the wrong kind of lifestyle anyway. Here's the day that you went and slept with her. Whatever he wrote down, that crowd walked away. Remember a minute ago I told you, you better be careful because your, your rules will come back to bite you. <laughs> Hey, those guys had some rules, and they got bit pretty hard. They had to leave that day. They realized that Jesus knew 
He knew what was in their heart. He knew what was in their life. He walked away, they walked away because of what Jesus wrote. And Jesus turns to this lady that's been caught in the act of adultery. And he tells her, where are they going to? Because they left as he's riding, because Jesus knew where they went to. He's God. And Jesus looks at her and he says, is there no one that condemns you? And she says, nobody. Although you wonder, because I'm human, you're human. I'm wondering in the back of her mind, she might be thinking, well, there still might be one that condemns me, you know. You might, Jesus. You know, God might be condemning me. But instead, Jesus looks at her and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go away and quit living a life of sin, is what he tells her. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus did not say, Here's a bunch more rules. And if you're going to be okay and right with me, here, you go live out these rules. That wasn't her motive. What had happened here was this. She is forgiven for breaking the rule. She experiences the mercy of Jesus. She experiences the grace of Jesus, the mercy and the grace of God. She experiences that. Then Jesus tells her to go and quit living a life of sin. See, we tend to get the cart before the horse sometimes. We'll tell people, you quit living a life of sin, then you can go to heaven. No, that's not the issue. The issue is we are forgiven by Jesus. We experience the grace of God. And as a result of experiencing the grace of God, we have the desire to go and the best that we can live without sin. And if we get that twisted around, we're going to have the wrong example that we're setting in our churches and the wrong example that we're setting for our young people. Her motivation was to go and live a godly life, not because of rules that Jesus now imposed upon her, but it was because of His grace that she was motivated to go and keep the rules. Second main statement or thought you need to get today is this. Rules don't inspire grace. In other words, rules don't inspire us to respond to God's grace. Rules don't inspire us to be gracious uh, with other people and things such as that. Uh, Kyle Eidelman, who wrote the book, Not a Fan, that this series that we're doing in our small groups this semester is based upon, told a story about when he was attending a, a Christian high school. And while he was attending the Christian high school, he was taking, I can't remember if it's biology or chemistry right now. Anyway, there's this major, huge test coming up. And the professor had been telling them how hard it was going to be. The teacher had been stressing to him, you better study, 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 study. It's going to be a huge test, difficult test. Day of the test came. Kyle said, I wasn't ready. I didn't think I was ready to take the test. But the day came, I came in, and I sat down, and the, uh, the teacher came around, and he handed the test out to everybody. And then he went to the front of the class, and he made this announcement. He said, before you start the test, I want you to read all the way through the test. So Kyle decided he would listen, so he's reading through the test, and he's looking at it, and he gets to the last page, and on the last page it said this, you can try to take this test and try to earn an A, or you can sign your name on the front of it, turn it in just like it is, and receive an A for free. Kyle said, it didn't take me long to make a decision. Said, I put my name on that baby, I hopped up, and I went up there and I handed it in, and here comes a multitude of others handing it in. Said, there was another student by the name of Patrick. Said, Patrick was not necessarily a good student. Patrick would have needed to have made that A. Probably the only time Patrick would have had a chance to make that A. He said, Patrick 
didn't even pay attention to what everybody else was doing. He sat there and did not read to the end of it. He sat there and took the test. And he said, there's another girl by the name of Michaela who out of principle said, I refuse to get an A for free. I'm going to take the test. I don't need a handout from anybody. And I'm going to take this test and earn my A. Now, the reason I tell that story is this. And the reason Kyle told it in his book is this. That's the way people are a lot of times. God, I don't need any help from you. I'm going to take the test and I'm going to ace it. I'll make it to heaven on my own. I will be good enough. I will keep the rules. When what we need to do is say, thank God for the grace of God. Do you see the difference? Because somebody that just wants to be kind of a fan of religion and everything like that, they, they want to take the test. They want to feel good about themselves based upon how good they keep the rules. Instead of just saying, man, I'm so glad that Jesus took the test for me. I'm so glad that Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for my sins. I'm so glad that by trusting in him and God's amazing grace, I can be forgiven all my way to heaven and now serve God, not because I have to, because I want to. Because I love him and have the desire to serve him. The same grace of Jesus that forgave that woman from being stoned and kept her from being stoned, that's the same grace that reaches out to us and tells us to quit hauling around our guilt and our shame. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor, all you that are trying to work your way there, you're trying to be good enough for yourself, you're trying to keep the rules, and are heavy laden because you're trying to work your way there and you're trying to keep the rules, you've got a ton of guilt on your life. Because honest in your heart, you know you can't keep the rules. So he comes to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and he says, I will, what's the word? Give. God's going to give. What Jesus said. And I will give you rest. You don't earn rest. You won't earn a clean conscience, but come to me and I will give it to you. See, the problem with many of us is that we grew up in homes to where we were taught all about Jesus. And we were taken to church every Sunday and we went to youth camp every summer and we kind of learned a lot of rules about Jesus and we kind of somewhere in the message thought we have to fear Jesus and because we have to fear Jesus and we don't want to go to hell, we're going to keep all the rules so hopefully we can miss hell by keeping all the rules. Somehow it was lost in translation for some people to where they think it is about keeping the rules. They were taught to observe a bunch of religious traditions and rule keeping, but somewhere along the way they were never taught to really fall in love with Jesus. You see what we need to do is fall in love with Him and serve Him and keep the rules because we love Him. Let me illustrate that. You're going to say, you talk about your wife a lot. I'm sorry, you know. Just kind of as part of my life where my illustrations are. When I married Becky, there were probably some, there were some spoken rules and some unspoken rules. Uh, you'll, you guys will get the unspoken rules in a minute. But in other words, when, you know, when I'm standing up there at the front and I'm making the vows to my wife, 
I am promising that I will be faithful to her, her alone. I am promising that I will provide for her. I am promising her that I will be committed for better or for worse, no matter what I face. So those were spoken rules. I mean, I actually said them. I I knew they were going to be part of the deal. But after I married Becky, I found out there were some unspoken rules. And, you know, you guys will figure this out. There are unspoken rules probably that you were introduced to later on, uh, such as, I'll just give you, you know, a few of mine. You know, one of mine is kind of this, and I still break it all the time. I'm sorry, Becky, I break this all the time. But when Becky's on the phone, she does not want me talking to her. And, and, and for some reason, if she gets on the phone, it's bound and determined that some issue is going to hit my mind and my heart that I feel like I need to ask right then. And I'm breaking it all the time. But I understand the rule is, I'm on the phone, don't talk to me. You know? Another unspoken rule that I had to learn was this. If, if Becky's kind of sitting in a chair, I don't need to come up and bump the chair. Because it messes her head up. Now, the thing that flips me out about it, she can go on a corkscrew roller coaster and come out the other side fine. If I get on it, I want to throw up on the other side of it. Becky can ride those and it not bother her at all and get out the other side. But she can be sitting in the chair at the computer and me come up and kind of bump her, try to lean over and see what she's doing, bump her, or maybe even, you know, just think about hugging her and bump her and she don't know I'm there. And I messed her head up. So I've learned, an unspoken rule is, don't bump the chair, even though she can do this. Another unspoken rule that I found out that probably all of you guys can appreciate is that there's an unspoken rule not very long after you get married is that you discover you're actually expected to raise the seat and to lower the seat to its former position. Amen, guys? Now, some of you ladies need to get with that. I said that in the first service, and all the women are just like this. Yes, preacher, they're supposed to do that. Honest, they were clapping all over the place. So, but but here's, the, here's the illustration of that. If I only followed the rules that the spoken or the unspoken rules because I have to, it would get pretty old. But if I try and follow those rules because I want to be a good husband and because I love my wife, it never gets old. Do I break them still? Yeah, I get in a hurry sometime or, you know, get up in the morning and feel all stiff and everything like that in my old age and think, I want to bend over and raise the seat, you know. I break the rules sometimes. But, you know, when I'm called on it or whatever, I understand and I don't mind it because I love my wife. And see, what I'm trying to tell you is this. It will not be a burden upon you to follow the rules that God gives us in this Bible If you're doing it because you love Jesus. If you're doing it because you think you have to. Because you're being forced to. If you're doing it because you think you're going to earn your way to heaven somehow. You'll have nothing but frustration and guilt hit your life. But if on the other hand, you're trying the best that you can to follow Jesus. And to keep his rules because you love Him, then that gives you the right motive in the right context and ought to keep it from getting old because you're doing it because you love Him. St. Augustine said this. First part of it, 
uh, makes real good sense. The second part, you had to read everything you said in context to get it. He said, who can be good if not made so by loving? In other words, who can, who can live a godly life? Who wants to be good? Who can follow Jesus? Who can do all that type of stuff unless they're, they're transformed by the love of God to do it? And then he says, love God and do as you please. Now, he doesn't mean you can say, I love God, but I'm going to go out and commit adultery. I love God, but I'm going to go out here and just, you know, get high, whatever the case is. What he's saying is this. When you are made good by loving, by the love of Jesus, as you love God, what you do will be what pleases Him. What pleases you will be what pleases Him. Does that make sense? Instead of doing it just because you think you have to, because of a bunch of rules. Check out the video. It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset, concerned, because maybe a college-age child or an adult child is no longer following Jesus. And the parents usually want to know what happened. They want to know what went wrong. That's a hard question to answer. There's a lot of different possibilities, but I, I do my best just to listen to the story, to encourage them and to pray for their child. But not long ago, I was uh, speaking in Houston, Texas, and after I was done speaking, this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me, but he had, uh, had tears in his eyes. And he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith, was no longer following Jesus. But he didn't ask me what happened. He didn't seem to be looking for an explanation. In fact, with one sentence, he told me what he thought went wrong. He said, We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation? They give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, at church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. Maybe a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Some of the history that I've gone through that I was uh, sharing earlier about, you know, some of the rules in, involved in like a, a particular, you know, Christian school that I had connections through to a church and, and, and things like that. That's, you see, that's the, the danger with just giving people rules. They might know some little bit of things about Jesus, but it's not the same thing as knowing Jesus. They might understand some rules, but it's not the same thing as understanding they need to respond to those rules because Jesus loves them. Instead of doing it, trying to earn, earn their way. Uh, third thing I want you to get is rules don't keep us committed. Rules don't keep us committed. In light of the story that he told, and I, I've had a little bit of a tough time this week because I, you know, I, I want to evaluate my own life, and you know, and I don't want to come across uh, in messages or, 
our church to come across or me come across in a way that ever makes it sound like uh, you're only right with God by keeping the rules. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I had to back up and even you know trying to evaluate and in my mind some parenting decisions and things like that because you always want the best for your kids. But maybe sometimes I made it about the rules and I needed to make it about loving Jesus. The world they'd want to follow more. And I mean, I've got some of my kids here. I, I, I almost had them to come up here and stand, but I'll just leave them where they are, not embarrass them. But guys, if I ever made it sound like it was just about the rules, I'm sorry. What I want it to be is that you love Jesus enough to keep the rules. And some of you as parents maybe need to evaluate. You might need to go have a sit down hard talk with some of your kids. And say, if I made it sound like it's about the rules, I'm sorry. Because it's about loving Jesus. And if you love Jesus, the rule part will, will take care of itself. Because you'll be wanting to do the right thing because you love Jesus. Not because mom and dad told you you had to, but because you love Jesus. See, rules don't keep us committed. Those people I talked about earlier that I had evaluated, that I'd seen, they'd been forced to do this and forced to do that, eventually they got fed up with the rules and they walked away from it. If we're not careful as parents and, and as a church, if we're not careful, we'll cause our kids to grow up where religious rules are the emphasis. And somehow they'll start thinking about Christianity. They'll define Christianity like this. Their definition of Christianity will be keeping a bunch of rules. When their definition of Christianity needs to be love Jesus, and because you love Jesus, live for Him. Instead of it being just about a lot of the rules, because if we, I, I, I'm telling you, I think if we raise our kids, if we allow kids in our churches to be made to think Christianity is about keeping a lot of rules. There will come a point in time in their life that they'll be so frustrated that they'll give up and they'll walk away, as I said earlier, from the church and from Jesus and from reading their Bibles and from prayer and they just won't care because the problem is they were taught rules and they were never taught to love Jesus. We need to be sure, you know, we'll, we'll say, yeah, 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 but, you know, we've got to be sure they understand all these moral obligations as a Christian. Yes, as a Christian, as somebody that loves Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you keep the rules. You don't keep the rules to become a follower of Jesus. We need to be sure they get a clear understanding. That's why we must define Christianity, first and foremost, as following Jesus and loving Jesus, not about the rules. You as parents, me as a parent, us as a church. We need to make sure those kids upstairs and the youth that's in our youth group and things like that, we need to be sure they understand that it's about loving Jesus first. Following Jesus first. And then as a result of that, the rules fall in place. Instead of forcing them and making them think it's all about the rules. First and foremost, it's about loving Jesus. And it's about following Jesus. And if we don't teach them that, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. They'll walk away from the church, from their Bibles, from pursuing Jesus. 
until maybe they get old enough that they think, well, maybe my kids need some of the rules that I had. And then they might come back, but they come back for the wrong reason because they think their kids need the same moral foundation, the same rules they had, instead of coming back because they love Jesus. To illustrate that, if you're dating somebody because you're forced to date somebody, wouldn't that get pretty old after a while? I mean, think about it. If the only reason you were dating somebody was because you had to, you didn't want to, but you're being forced to. I'm telling you, after a while, I think you'd get old, and I'd want to rebel, wouldn't you? If you're being forced to please somebody at work or whatever the scenario is, or at church, whatever the scenario is, if you're being forced to please somebody because you have to, it gets really old. But on the other hand, if you're wanting to please somebody because you love them, then you're empowered to please the person because you're doing it out of the right motive. And what we need to be sure as the church, not just this church, the church out here better get it right. Because everything in the world is saying, you know, they're wanting our kids and they're wanting our young people. And if we give them a perverted, twisting, hypocritical message that looks like, hey, we're okay. You don't stack up. They'll walk away from the church. They'll turn their backs on Jesus. God help us. We need to teach them to love Jesus. And to follow him because they love Jesus. We need to be sure that people clearly understand we do not earn God's grace by living for him. We live for him because of God's grace. And that's why we want to go and sin no more. Let's pray. Right before I pray, his bowed and eyes closed. I, I want you to honestly right now evaluate your own life. And if you're someone that's here that, that would have to admit right now, you've, you've had it all twisted and you've kind of somehow heard the wrong message or been practicing the wrong approach and somehow you thought becoming a Christian meant that you had to obey these rules so you could be a Christian. Or you had to obey these rules so you could go to heaven and not go to hell. And you think that happens by obeying the rules. Will you please evaluate your life right now and ask yourself if that's where you are. And if that's where you are, I want to tell you, you've missed it or we've missed it trying to teach you. And it's all wrong because what you need to understand is this. You need to love Jesus because he loved you. And you need to serve Jesus because he served you and he died on the cross for your sins. And through faith in Him, He wants to transform your life. And then you can follow Him. And then you can try and keep His rules and serve Him and honor Him. But don't do it in order for Him to love you. He's already proved He loves you on the cross. And if you've been trying to work your way to heaven by keeping a bunch of rules, you ought to figure it out by now that doesn't work because you've probably got a ton of guilt in your life and what you need to do right now is just trust in the forgiveness and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus that shed his blood on the cross so through him you can have everlasting life.
and evaluate as a parent right now. And evaluate us as a church right now. And let's be sure that we don't make people think that Christianity is about rules. Because it's about much more than rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship that is so meaningful that you want to keep the rules. Father, God, I pray you'd help us, each one, to be honest. That we'd invite your Holy Spirit to help us evaluate our lives. Lord, if there's someone here or many people here this morning that have been confused and somehow they've been thinking they could please you by being good enough, that they could follow rules, that Christianity was just about rules. God, help them to understand that's not completely true. That Christianity is about having a relationship with you. You became flesh to have a relationship with us. And you took our sins to the cross and paid for them. So that by faith in you, our lives can be changed and we can be forgiven. And then we can follow you. The Father, there's someone here that needs to walk away from trying to keep the rules. Thinking they'll earn their way to heaven. And just understand what it is right now to get the freedom of trusting in the, in the grace of Jesus, in His forgiveness. God, help them to do that right now. God, help us as parents here who are Christian to evaluate and guard that we don't teach our children or our grandchildren that Christianity is just a bunch of rules. God, help us as a church to hold that up. Help us to be transparent. Help us to be a place that people can come in and see real people. Real people with problems. But real people that have been saved by the grace of Jesus. To where people coming in from the outside can have hope that Jesus can change their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are you about today in this? You see, Christianity is about more than rules. Rules will grab you out of bed. Rules will parade you in front of the crowd. Rules will cast you in the dirt. And rules will stone you. That's what rules want to do. So are you about thinking you'll be alright with God by keeping the rules? Or do you understand that it's not about the rules. It's about having a relationship with Jesus, following Him. And through that, by His Spirit in your life, you're empowered to try and keep the rules, to serve Him, to try and follow Him. Don't get it backwards. Please, please don't leave here thinking, if I'm going to be right with God, it's based upon my performance. No, it's not. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross, His performance. And you need to trust in Him. And then, serve Him. Let's be sure we get that one right at day three. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at day3church.com. And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com.